you have landed on The Substance, a podcast aimed at being biblical, thoughtful, and human. Join us each week as we engage the culture without the culture war. I'm Trevor Aiken. I'm one of the three hosts here, joined by Philip Marinello. Hey, everybody. And Vincent Edwards. Howdy, howdy. <laughs> You're really sticking with howdy. I, 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 with the howdy. I literally <laughs> cannot think of anything else as a greeting. <laughs> This is always uh, a question. That's only been for the last couple of shows, but the first time was super hilarious. I, I'm I'm still getting used to it. Also joining us this week is special guest Barnabas Piper. Welcome, Barnabas. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I don't know if I should say howdy as well. If that's like a, a thing, I don't know. <laughs> but, so howdy, y'all. It's good to be here. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're you're in Nashville now, right? That's kind of it's kind of yeah. You got to throw the y'all in there for Nashville. Yeah, for sure. It's good to be on with y'all. Barnabas Piper probably doesn't need a ton of introduction, but uh, author, pastor, husband, father. Uh, Barnabas, how do you typically introduce yourselves to people who yourselves? Not... Huh? Did I say yourselves? Yeah, you sure? Yeah. I, I, it, well, it depends on which self which self I'm introducing, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, we, aren't um, we all a myriad of selves, Trev? <laughs> Depending on which uh, psychologist you would ask, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I think you listed all the important ones. I mean, it's it's uh, church and family primarily. Um, authoring is a thing that I enjoy doing and you know it's it's probably the most public thing that i do but not the most defining thing i spend far sure. more of my time and energy investing in my family and in my church family and yeah and then i podcast on the side for fun and uh those are the, those are the those are the main things that i do um of course and co- yeah. co-host of the happy rant podcast yes. of course yep very fun show probably mm, i'd say one of the most fun christian podcasts i listen to in my rotation for sure and that's encouraging to hear because those aren't those aren't words you hear together very often fun christian podcasts so i'm glad to do that because it's trevor and i talk vincent trevor and i talk a lot like there are the christian podcasts that are straight up like worldview analysis and here's what's wrong in the world and we we try to cover things that are current events because like we want to be faithful that's part of it and there's sermon podcasts or just like opinions so like we're we're doing our best to try to uh, try to do the best, but no, happy rant is always a lot of fun. So, Barnabas, what was it like to grow up with a three syllable name? I mean, what nicknames were the worst, man? Oh, Barney was the worst, um, especially because you when beat I somebody was, up for that. You know, I I probably I probably got on a couple playground tussles over that one in elementary school because Barney the purple dinosaur was was at his heyday when I was for at, sure. When I was at yeah. my late elementary school, so just too old to think that was fun heyday. And mm, uh, yeah. yeah, so that one didn't fly. But I will say that if you ever listen to Johnny Cash's song, Boy Named Sue. Yeah, for sure. You know how at the end, spoiler alert to anybody who hasn't heard that song, uh, at the end, he basically <laughs> says, you know, I, I named you Sue to make you tough. And uh, right. I kind of feel like I got the, the low grade version of that. When you have a weird name. You just learn to let stuff roll off your back because you, you know, people always notice and it's, it's always a topic of conversation or you always have to repeat your name because people are like, Barbara, what did you say? Or something along those lines. <laughs> Do people still call you Barney? Is that a thing that's kind of resurfaced to an actual thing that you don't mind? It, I, no, I still don't like that name. It just, there has never <laughs> been a Barney worth emulating. Like, w- who's cool? There's you no got cool the purple Barneys. dinosaur and then the dopey sheriff. That's, yeah, you got that's Barney Fife, you got like Barney Miller. And yeah, there's there's Which nobody who's like, nothing, man, that's yeah. a that's a pretty that's a pretty amazing that's a sweet Barney. Barney. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the soundbite right Hype there. Hype over here, just redeeming Barney, but not really, because don't you dare call him that. Yeah, but please don't call me that, everybody. Don't don't. I did like your juke there question, Trevor. I appreciated that when I saw that in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, that was that's not where I expected that to go, and I appreciated it. Well, you know, we figure that you should probably. You're I a said, hard guy to interview, Barnabas. It's 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 a real thing. Well, like I, approaching you. My thought is like you, you should probably set something up where like you get paid per your the your dad that a that an interviewer tells <laughs> yes. you. Like whenever that uh, phrase happens, there's like a certain ro- cost. royalties per dad mention. Yeah, right. You gotta get your on that. I threw that out on Twitter. I was like, I think I should put my like put a PayPal link up and just charge you guys all five dollars every time you dad juke me. And (laughs) you know, and it's like, and if every John Piper gift that gets shared at me, or every time it's like, what would your dad think? You know, that's double the fee. (laughs) You know, something like that. I can can put my kids through college on people bringing up my dad. (laughs) Let yeah. me ask you, do they ever make you laugh? Because, I mean, the John Piper leaning in, 
very intently but kind of kind of disapprovingly that is a yeah, very enjoyable that stern meme. look it doesn't yeah. make me laugh because like i that that look, probably, <laughs> probably that's flashbacks, look, huh? that's look i got when i made the off-color joke at the dinner table like that's sure it, that sort of gives me the shivers i'm like ooh. yeah and then the other thing like they're they're all predictable you know like the seashell mm-hmm. jokes and nobody has made a john sure. piper joke in the last 10 years no. that that feels original to me it's original to them good good hustle y'all but uh, <laughs> i did quite like, enjoy fake john piper on twitter for a number of years before yeah that was good the the parody of john piper was really funny i got i got a good chuckle out of those for sure that's funny man i really enjoy kind of the arc of a lot of what you've written before we kind of get into the specifics i'd just like to hear with your most recent book what was it like kind of launching a book during coronavirus time (laughs) um uh disappointing uh, which is funny for mm. a book about happiness and uh, and, and kind of overcoming <laughs> disappointment. Is that like the whole don't pray for patience kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want to write about a book about happiness? Here you go. Here's a pandemic to launch it during. Um, <laughs> it was, it was, uh, I think the, the, the strangest absence was there was no speaking to go with it. You know, one of the things that, that, that has happened with my previous books when I launched them is I usually get invited to speak here and there, you know, a men's conference or a retreat or something, or, you know, a school chapel, something they, they, people just bring in authors to speak on the topic of their books. And there was none of that. So book launched in October and, uh, the first related speaking thing I did was like a zoom conference, hmm. uh, earlier this month. And that's just odd because it just Let's feels just love like zoom. Yeah. It just feels like you kind of put a book out into the world and then you have zero sense of what's happening with it. Um, there's the, you know, you don't even like go in bookstores to see if it's on the shelf because we're not really going to stores these can. days yeah. much. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it's been, it's, it's felt very much like sort of launching in a vacuum, sort of shouting into the void and hoping that people realize that it's there and, and maybe they like it. Kind of like having a podcast, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, just... <laughs> no, but I mean, that would be a very strange thing, especially yeah. at that level with that sort of, um, cause your first three books launched to a normal time. Yeah. They, they all, yeah, they all came out and then, you know, there was kind of the standard, media radio podcasting and then speaking and 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 when you go speak at places there's a chance to you know you sign a few books here and there and can and you talk to people about the book there's a there's a real human sense which is the part of writing that i like or the part of book launching that i like i, I like writing itself because i, I mean i I write books with the hope that they actually benefit people you know mm-hmm. encourage people teach people challenge people and if there's no interaction with the readers, it just feels like you just kind of threw this thing out there and said, boy, I hope somebody picks it up. It's a little bit message in a bottle esque. Sure. And so Hmm. to have that absence is a little, it has been weird. I would love to hear just briefly about your first book, the pastor's kid. Like Mm -hmm. what was the response like? Cause again, you can't talk to you without either. You don't want to make it all about your dad, but you don't want (laughs) to ignore it either. Like that was kind of how you got into your first book deal. Like what was, the experience like and then what was the response like because i'm sure everybody wants to know it's like ooh, john piper's kid wrote a book about being a pastor's kid like <laughs> what was that experience like and what kind of feedback did you receive yeah i i worked really hard to write that not as a sort of piper tell-all um sure there may be people who are interested Smart. in reading that if so i have no interest Ugh. in writing it for them um yeah i wanted it to be a book that was written from the perspective of just kind of the the quintessential pastor's kid and so mm-hmm. before writing it i interacted with i don't know 40 or 50 different pastor's kids from around the country just you know hmm. threw things out on social media and and would connect sometimes by phone sometimes by email sent a kind of a questionnaire to a bunch of them to get some feedback just to make sure that my experience as a pastor's kid was normal um hmm. because i had all these ideas of i think these are the things i want to write about these struggles these pressures these challenges but i had in my mind maybe this is just because i'm you know john piper's son and that's it's way more pronounced for me but when I started hearing back from like the United Methodist pastor's kid whose whose dad had been at six different churches, none of which were bigger than 200, and it was the same for them, and the Lutherans mm-hmm. and the Presbyterians, and some people who had been at the church for 20 years, some people who were almost itinerant, and it was just so much consistency, that, that was real significant in it. Um, 
I did not interact with my parents at all about that book while I was writing it. Hmm. Not negatively, Bold. like I wasn't withdrawn from them, but just from yeah. the perspective of I needed to know that I could write everything I intended to without feeling like maybe I should ease up on on it or back off or change things because of their impression of it. But I also wanted to I wanted to write a book that wasn't dishonoring to them, but that was honest about the difficulties. And I, I think from their response to it, I, I succeeded at that. You know, my dad wrote the forward for it and he doesn't write the forward for things that he doesn't read. So he, you know, he's, he's read it. And, uh, and even in the forward talks about how it was hard to read, but also a, a kind of a good necessary book. So it was a really significant book for me in terms of trajectory, both as a writer, kind of the, just the getting launched as a, as an author, but then also it gave me a better trajectory in relating to my parents because there was conversations that came out of it and things that that have developed in our relationship positively in the years since because it first came out in 2014 mm. i think so um almost mm -hmm. seven years ago now wow. and just a lot of growth in the years since and so it, it, it's been really beneficial and it's a, it seems to have touched a nerve with a lot of pastors kids and pastors who just say that it it speaks for them or it has opened their eyes to things that they need to be aware of with their own parenting and stuff like that. So it seems like it is, it is doing what I hoped, which is to encourage and help people. Well, that's encouraging to hear, yeah. especially yeah. with not just cause your dad is your dad, but I've talked to loads of pastors who I think genuinely, maybe not all of them, but I think many pastors do genuinely want to be edified and sharpened by others mm -hmm. but just the nature of the church is that people look up to them and a lot of people don't feel like it's their place to like give the pastor feedback or it's just like non-stop criticalness but like the person who genuinely gives the pastor like here are some ways here's some things that maybe you haven't thought of or you could look at improvement like good positive critical feedback i don't feel like pastors get regularly and you have to be in a position to to do that in a um, uplifting way, but also kind of mm -hmm. a neutral way. You know, if if you're if you're a member of the congregation who's constantly giving feedback to the pastor, <laughs> yeah. it, it, you become a little bit of this, not even a little bit. You're just the squeaky wheel at some point. Mm -hmm. But I'm writing this from a an an experience standpoint. You, it's kind of an unassailable experience. You can't tell me. You know, that didn't happen. Um, right. I have the affirmation of many other pastors' kids, but then I'm writing it and just handing it to them and saying, look, this is an experience that, that it may benefit you in your interactions with your kids or handing it to their congregation and saying, hey, this will benefit you in your relationship with your pastor. So I have that sort of third party neutral, but experienced perspective. And most importantly, I'm writing from the perspective of, I, I love the church, like the big C church. I, mm -hmm. I, am, I have no interest in undermining or tearing down the church. And so I'm not coming at this saying, pastors, you're the worst, or <laughs> churches are terrible, but saying, here are the weaknesses and the failures, here's the, the, the problems, and here's, here's what we can do differently and how we can build one another up. Because that's, I mean, that's the aim, right? Is to see the yeah. church built up, not, yeah. not just, you know, eroded. Right. And there's a lot of pastors' kids who would even talk about that experience or reflect on that experience. But there's, I, I don't know of many who would do so in a way that's like, let's give this as a resource. Let me reflect on my experience and give this as a resource to the church. And I feel like because of your love for the church, you're also self-examining the church and just also yourself in relation to the church and like how can it be a place to help people because you love the people and and the yeah. and the thing that god's revelation through the church to people is how does that inform your work that love for the church but also almost like critiquing the difference between christian culture and yeah. christianity itself yeah, it's I you put it pretty well when you when you talk about sort of the the critiquing from the inside. So think of it like if you love your family but you see your family's um propensity for certain kinds of failures or every time we get together we have these same stupid arguments or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You can kind of go at your family to say, "Y'all, wouldn't wouldn't we be better if wouldn't wouldn't we wouldn't we 
be more loving? Wouldn't it be more fun to be with each other if we made these changes? But it's all Mm -hmm. done in the understanding of I'm part of this family too. Mm-hmm. I'm not throwing stones at you guys. Like you don't, if you, mm. you know, we, we, we share the same, we share the same bloodlines. Well, that's true for the church as well. So what we do on the happy rant podcast, where we poke fun at a lot of stuff, we're all part of the church. Two of us are pastors. One of us works at a Christian university and is a, is a dedicated member at a church. Like we are part of this thing. And mm-hmm. we look at it and go, man, sometimes we do some dumb stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we're weirdos. As, well, I want to commend you and thank you for that. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's necessary. Yeah. Like we not just need to, like we all do need to have a sense of humor, but I think that humor and like satire and things like that, but like kind of lightly poking fun at ourselves, it's a lot easier to take. I think you even said that humor is a better tool than aggression or something like that. You yeah, said that it, before. Yeah, humor humor is way way more well received. You can make some very pointed criticisms, you know, kind of clothed in humor that are very different than just going up to somebody and being like, "Here's four reasons you're an idiot." Um, <laughs> that's and, like most that's, discernment bloggers. Yeah, whole that's, that's blogging. That's that's so much of social media. That's most political interaction. You know, like the political mm-hmm. satire has disappeared. Let's not get into mm. that. Um, and, Agreed. And, and then in my writing, it's a similar kind of thing, but but satire and humor don't tend to land as well in writing. And so I just I write in a way that's that's maybe a little bit more clear cut and heartfelt, um, simply because that's that, that communicates way better on the page. But yeah, it, again, it is looking at it and going, man, this is this is a thing that we've we've gotten bent on a little bit in the church. So I wrote a book about faith and doubt because the church mm-hmm. has not always responded well to people with questions. So mm-hmm. what does it look like to respond well to people with questions and to ask our faith questions in a meaningful way, in a way that's that's going to lead us closer to Jesus instead of further from Jesus? And I wrote a book about curiosity because I think I think Christians often just get stuck in a rut and are not, they don't go through life paying attention to the wonders of God's world. And And if we did, we would have a much deeper sense of appreciation for everything from art to nature, to work, to, to anybody who's of a different culture than us. So that was a thing that, that I wrote on again, kind of looking at it and going, man, this is a thing we can do better. Not a thing that I'm an expert at, but something that just going to kind of explore what this would look like. And then my most recent book was, was hoping for happiness. And it was the same thing, looking at it and going, man, I see people in falling into two, two different areas of, of pitfall. One is just the manic pursuit of happiness that so many mm. people have where they're just constantly mm-hmm. looking for the next experience, the next thrill, the next dream job, the next relationship. Who could relate to that? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> that's all very hypothetical, of course. Yeah, right? and, then, uh, and then you've got the, the conservative Christians who grew up in a context where we're suspicious of happiness. Like happiness mm. is worldly. Yeah. Happiness is trite. It's shallow. Mm. So neither of those reflect what the Bible says. So what is, what is that? What is the greater and better reality for being a happy person and a happy follower of Christ? Yeah, that, oof, that, that hit me in the gristle right there. I, I appreciate <laughs> you saying that. Um, I, I want to go back to the help my unbelief. Um, there's a quote that really stuck out to me. So if you'll be patient with me, I want to actually read this one. Um, it said, God is infinite. Um, while the finite human mind can understand aspects of his character, even those cannot be understood in full. Um, his bigness is too big, his goodness too good, his wrath too terrible, his grace too profound, his knowledge too deep. Because of this, God is inherently mysterious to us. We simply cannot fathom the fullness or even a portion of the fullness of who he is or what he does. And that stuck out to me because I know uh, of, of, you know, myself or, or anyone else who could read that part of the of the book and really feel far away from God, especially when that's mm, juxtaposed yeah. to our nature. So uh, kind of distilling some some of the truths from that book that you wrote, how, how would you encourage a person to not sacrifice that reality of who God is, yet get and be closer to God? Yeah, that's a man. That's a great question. Thank you for asking that. Um, I, two two thoughts come to mind. The first is to kind of flip the script a little bit and say, okay, so if if that description of God makes us feel too small, too far away, I think we need to think about well, what kind of God do we want to worship? 
if we hmm. if we're seeking hmm. a God for whom those things are not true, what we're really seeking is something much more like ourselves, something understandable, mm-hmm. something with limits, something with uh, definitions, something finite. Well, that if it's finite, we will come to the end of it at some point. We'll come to the end of enjoyment. We'll come to the end of worship. We'll come to the end of faith. It will come to the end of its capability to help us. Hmm. So being infinite is a necessity for a true God. Being infinite also necessitates that we will not understand that God to the fullest. So there's a, there's a built-in tension there, but, but it's, a, it's a necessary thing for somebody who wants to truly worship the genuine God. Hmm. The second mm-hmm. aspect of it is the realization that God, God gave us a description and an explanation of himself that tells us everything we need to know. It answers all the necessary mm-hmm. questions, all the crucial questions. And that's, that's, that's the Bible. So there's another quote in the book. I, I'm, I can't remember it exactly, but basically sa- I said, the Bible, the Bible doesn't tell us everything about God, but it tells us everything we need to know about God. And, mm-hmm. and it raises as many questions as it answers, but it answers all the pertinent questions. And so when we go and invest deeply in Scripture, what we're seeing is the true heart of God. We're seeing exactly what we need to know of God. God is not leaving us out to dry, but He's showing us the character that means we can trust this God who's beyond our understanding. We're seeing the promises that we can be certain He will fulfill, or He has fulfilled. And so, on the one hand, philosophically, it's pointless to worship a non-infinite God. Yeah. And then as a Christian, we have God's depiction of himself and his word that does draw us close. I mean, when when it when the Bible says things like, I'm the good shepherd, my sheep hear my voice, they know me, they follow me. Like that's a that's a deeply intimate personal thing. When he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, and he says, Fear not, for I am with you. I mean, just run through the promises. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's God saying, this is who I am. And so when you don't understand, remember who I am. And remember mm-hmm. remember all I have done and all I will do. So I could probably go on and on about that. But those, th- those kind of two, mm-hmm. two sides of, of thought. One is we need an infinite God if we have something to have something worthy of worship. And the other is he told us who he is. And it means that when we don't understand, we can still have confidence in who he is. Mm. And while we're still yeah. on Help My Unbelief, we have a pretty decently diverse audience kind of within the faith spectrum. We've got mm-hmm. a lot of people pretty conservative, a lot of people maybe not so conservative, and also a, a number of listeners who are maybe questioning, maybe don't identify as people of faith. Like, in the realm of doubt, what would be your encouragement to people who who do say, like, yes, like I, I feel like I am a Christian, but I struggle with doubts, or people who are like, how can you guys be sure that the Bible is real? Like... What are what's like a distilled encouragement to maybe both of those sides of the coin? Yeah, the I think the encouragement I would give is to draw a distinction between two different kinds of doubt, and this this requires a little bit of self diagnosis by the listener, and I think I think God will help reveal their own hearts to them. But in the book, I draw a distinction between unbelieving doubt and believing doubt, and believing doubt sounds mm-hmm. like a contradiction in terms, but let me explain what I mean. So unbelieving doubt is the kind of doubt that, that falls into the realm of skepticism, a disinclination to believe. So it's, it's not based on, I don't know, it's based on, I don't want to know, or I just mm-hmm. can't, I just can't believe that's true. So it's a, it's almost a stiff arming of answers. And if that's where people find themselves, then they're going to have a very hard time finding the truth about God, because they're essentially telling God, I don't want to know. I'm not, I'm not inclined to hear what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, now, believing doubt is probably where a lot of those people will find themselves, where a lot of the listeners will find themselves. And that's a place of saying, I just, I don't know how to know. I want to know. I want to know the truth. I want to know who Christ is. I want to know what is real about God. I want to know the truth. And that's sort of a humble openness. And that's a thing that God uses. You, you see the, those kinds of characters in Scripture 
you know, the, the title of the book was drawn out of Mark 9, where a father brings his son to Jesus. The son is, is possessed by a demon, and he, the father is helpless. And Jesus says, I can basically, I can help if you believe. And the father's response is, I believe, help my unbelief. And in that single sentence, he's saying, I, I do believe some things about you. I brought my son to you, but also there's a lot that I don't understand. There's a lot that I don't know. There's a lot that I'm not sure of. And he just sort of casts it at the feet of Jesus and says, I'm at your mercy, mm-hmm. which is the posture of believing doubt. So if there are people who, mm-hmm. are, who are dealing with those kinds of questions, I just encourage towards a posture of take the questions to Jesus, which ultimately means to Scripture in our current context, and yeah. just let him reveal himself to you because you will not get answer to every deep question, but you will get answers to the essentials of them. Who Mm. is Jesus? Who is this God that I'm not sure about? You know, the authenticity of scripture, there's a lot of study you can do, but there's also scriptures, you know, Hebrews says that the word is living and active. The Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts through it. Mm. And when that happens, you look at it and you go, yeah, this is fundamentally profoundly deeply true and you can't deny it anymore yeah Yeah. Mm. a lot of people i think struggle with doubt because of the failure of of men and the failure of small c churches and and hypocrisy and and sin and and wickedness and blind spots and things like that and when folks come with a heart of of wanting to know to a to a perfect source rather than an imperfect source. Yeah, that I, that's really really valuable because it's so often it's easy to to project the failure of a Christian's character onto God's character, and they're not they're not the same. They're not even remotely the same thing. Um, and so so when a Christian has failed and disappointed you, hurt you, betrayed you, God is as offended by that as you are. And he's on your side. You know, he's on the side of of rightness and truth and 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 forgiveness and mercy. And so his character, like we we need to go to him to see that, not be uh, disappointed in God because a follower of his has failed us. Hmm. Yeah. No, that's good. And I think that's it's tough. I think it's understandable too, to a certain extent, right? That that the Lord said that you know, we, we are a witness to him, right? Um, people know that we are believers by the love that we have for one another's. And so we shouldn't expect that when we fail miserably at that, um, that it doesn't have an impact on that witness. It, of course it does. And I was thinking too about the other side of that. So there are people who doubt because of that. And yeah, I think, man, I love that answer. Just like, please, like, just because the Christians in this world have failed, don't assume that that is the Christianity God desires or has revealed. It really does go back to Revelation. I also think about another side of doubter who worries, even even in that construction of believing doubt, because I, I think about James and his his kind of formulation. He talks about asking for wisdom, but then saying... They should ask without doubt. And so here you have a doubt that's still... Yeah, that's, that's hard, right? It's tough because it's it's a doubter who is approaching God for yeah. something, right? And specifically in that context, approaching God for wisdom. So they obviously have some level of faith to go to God and to ask for wisdom, but then he says that person should not assume that they'll receive anything from the Lord. And so I... I think that there's people who beat themselves and their own consciences up with texts like that. What do you think about that construction of believing doubt? How does that interact with a text like that? How would you comfort somebody who is coming to you um, with that question? Man, James James is a challenging book. I mean, on the one hand, it's like the clearest New Testament book because it's it's so it just has such you know pointed things to say. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it it has some of the hardest words and things that are all they, they seem contradictory unless you can take a step back and look at the whole message of the New Testament. Um, so I would I would counteract it not by saying, well, that's not true, but by saying, how do we understand that in the light of okay, so let's look at how Jesus responded to doubters. You have the father who I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. You have you have Peter who denied him three times who then, I mean, that's the same Peter who Jesus said, I, on, on you I will build my church. You will be a founding 
apostle of my church and and you kind know, of recommissioned him to that in John 20 I think it was you have Thomas who steadfastly refused to believe that Jesus was re- resurrected unless he could see the wounds in his hands and in his side and what did Jesus do he came and said here are the wounds in my hands and side also it's better if you believe without seeing it's better if you have faith so he he corrects him but he also gives him what he needs that's a recurring theme um, I think about Romans 7, where Paul talks about, I do the things that I do not want to do. I don't do the things that I know I should do. Just talking about that internal struggle of, of a believer who's still fighting with having sin in their lives. Uh, you know, unbelief is a sin in, in some mm-hmm. cases. And mm-hmm. so the, the Bible acknowledges our human frailty, our human blindness, uh, our human inability to believe perfectly, and and that's that's what grace and mercy are for. It's for mm. the person who struggles to believe. It's that's the one to whom Jesus says, you know, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But what James is, so I think what James is saying there is not your prayer will be rejected if you don't pray with perfect faith, but mm. rather aspire to have the kind of faith that is utterly confident in God. And isn't that what we all aspire to? Yeah. yeah. You know, isn't, don't, don't we wish we could walk into the presence of God in prayer and just say, I have a hundred percent confidence that God is perfect and he will answer this prayer exactly the right way. So I, I, I think that's what James is getting at there rather than you must achieve this standard of faith or else you're not good enough. You or else you're going to get a no. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good because yeah, what I'm hearing you say in that is that unbelief is it's still a sin, but thankfully we we have a God who is gracious and merciful and tender towards sinners, and calls yeah, and, us and, into relationship with Him by dealing with sin. Mm-hmm. Well, in His plan, He wasn't ignorant. the The perfection of God and the knowledge of God, God made us. God set us on our paths. Like He's not unaware of our failings. And it's like yeah, oh, this this dummy. And I want to be careful in how I call unbelief a sin because there's there's weakness mm-hmm. of belief and then there's rejection of belief. You know, the, the mm-hmm. sort of rebellion against God, that's just outright sin. That's, you know, that's looking God in the face and saying no. A weakness of belief or not having grown to a place of saying I'm confident in God is more a result of sin than it is mm-hmm. actively sinning against God. Mm-hmm. Um you know, in the same way that having weak muscles is a is a result of lack of activity, you know what I mean? Like it's just it, we have weak faith until we grow into stronger faith, and so it's a it's a result of being a sinner. It's a result of having sin in our lives, but I don't think it's exactly the same thing as outright sinning against God. It's not rebellion in itself to struggle to believe something. It's rebellion if you're not seeking to grow in your faith. That is super insightful. Very yeah, good. That's excellent. Trev, did you have the next one? Dude, jump on there. <laughs> okay. Um, how old are your children? My children are 15 and 12. 15 and 12. Yeah. So you've got more experience than Trevor and I do, and more than a number of our listeners, with both your personal upbringing as a pastor's kid, your experience being a father, and then now having pastor's children. Like on both sides of that, how would you encourage parents to be? faithful but also like having faith in god like i know our tradition spends a lot of time and effort on teaching parents like the good and like what to do and what to avoid which is right and good and all that but the balance between being an active parent who seeks to uh disciple and train up their kids but also to have that genuine faith that the lord will be faithful yeah and i i Think, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer this toward the people who have been in kind of the, the church tradition specifically, because I think that's where, that's where my experience lies, and I think that's where—that's uh, probably where I have the, the best encouragement uh, or the clearest encouragement. Um, so much of what I've seen in terms of parenting advice and parenting counsel leaves the impression that if you follow these X number of steps, your children will turn out the right way, mm-hmm. you know? Almost every parenting book it gives that if it doesn't if it's not outright uh, out, you know, <laughs> de- just defined that way it gives that impression sure you sure. know do these kinds of family devotions discipline your kids this way show them grace this way have these kinds of conversations and you will have the right kind of kid 
and people love to take proverbs and turn them into promises, you know, raise up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's, Mm -hmm. that's not a formula. That's a, that's a, that's a principle. And so the, the, the thing that I would want to say to parents is that you are not the Holy spirit. Mm -hmm. Your job is to show your children the work of the Holy spirit. And that's a thing that I've, I've had to grow in, especially as my children have gotten older. So yes, there is mm. absolutely an essential place for teaching your kids the word, praying with them, being a spiritual guide for them. But you know what else they need to see? They need to see repentance. They mm. need to hear the stories of how you've been an utter screw up and how God has been gracious to you in that because they feel like a screw up. And if all they ever get is positive spiritual input, they're going to feel like mom and dad are perfect Christians and, and I'm an F minus Christian. And mm. so it, it, it pushes them away from honesty and humility and those things that allow for growth as a Christian. And so I think, I think it's that is how are we doing our best to reveal to our kids the work of the Holy Spirit? And sometimes you just got to point at it. Do you describe the things that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life in terms of how he's helping you understand God more or how he's helping you grow out of a sin? You know, one of my besetting sins is that I am, I am impatient and I get angry a lot quicker than I should. Um, (laughs) And so I have to talk to my kids about that. Sometimes it's an apology. Sometimes it's, I ask God for help in this because I struggle and, and hopefully they can see that I'm leaning on the Holy Spirit for help. And then that gives them the freedom to say, oh, struggling is not failure. A refusal to depend on the Holy Spirit is failure. And, yeah. uh, and, and I, think, I think that's really it, especially as they get older, because um, adolescents have a, a highly sensitive BS meter. And mm-hmm. they just, they pick out non-genuine people. They pick out things that look hypocritical. They will call you on that so fast. And so being genuinely humble and saying, yeah, I, I botch this all the time. I'm not good at this. I need God's help in this. I need your forgiveness in this. And I need God's forgiveness in this. Mm-hmm. Just creates a context where grace becomes real. The Holy Spirit is, is present in, in his work. Christ becomes a, a real significant real figure, not just kind of a lesson. And then the hope is that, that that then transfers as they gain more independence and that becomes their defining reality. Mm. That's encouraging. Yeah. That's that's really good stuff. Yeah. We've had a number of different parents and, and typically young parents reaching out to us and and we've been talking through that because I feel like because of the things that you've talked about, those kind of books that are out there and the kind of teaching, it feels like for a lot of parents that like I'm doing the thing. Cause that's you the know? wisdom of I'm the culture, right? Like they're the like, formula. Oh, go read this book. And then yeah. you read it and then you're like, well, to be a good parent, I have to run the plays. Well, like, like, yeah, well, like without calling anything out, I guess it's a little bit, but like, I'm trying to shepherd my child's heart and like they're five <laughs> and I'm doing all the discipline stuff and I'm just not seeing the results. And I know like, there's the trite <laughs> responses that people get sure. like, well, it's not about results. It's about faithfulness. And it's like, that's cool, but my kid is tearing up my house. And some folks, I think, really struggle with, well, then what do I do? And I know for us, a couple of things that we had, we had learned about, like, our kid needs to go outside and, and it spends some energy. And we've noticed that when they get that exercise wow, things are way different. Like they're a lot more responsive to things. Trevor, are you saying and, that there are tools besides the Bible that we can use effectively? <laughs> well, I think that the Bible points to stuff like that. And and I think yeah, that it's it, what we're talking about, and I think I've heard you talk about this as well, Pipe, is that holistically, like not everything, not everything had to be a Bible lesson. I get that way too, where I'm like very, I'm very educationally driven and yeah. aimed. And so I know for my kids, sometimes she can be like, dad, even, even at four, she's like, I, okay. Okay. Like I can tell she's getting exasperated because I'm trying to turn something into a lesson. Like, stop talking. So I wonder like, yeah. what's that your doesn't stop as they get older, by the way, it's worse. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. I oh, know, dad, right? tell me more. Yeah, like, exactly. She, she hasn't, I haven't heard that one yet. Yeah. It's like, she'll ask a question about something and like literally about 10 seconds in she's, she's had enough of it. But I, I, I wondered your experience with that because you've talked about that some before about, okay, maybe not everything 
needs to be a Bible lesson. And does that have that inform how you approach things? Maybe in a is does that mean you approach it in a holistic way? What does that mean for you? Um, it frankly, it probably feels more like a uh, like a teeter totter, where like I'm I'm kind of over lessening and then under lessening, and I hope that it averages out to good. Um, <laughs> because I'm I'm like you. It's it's when I start going in on okay, this is what you need to learn. Like I'm gonna. I'm going to teach that lesson all the way to the end of that, like my <laughs> mental syllabus. And my kid has tuned out, you know, 30 seconds in. So I, and, and you know, that the Bible does say fathers do not exasperate Don't your children. And I think I often fail at that. Um, so hmm. I think what, from a, from that holistic side, one of the things that I have re- been learning and I, and, and started to see some fruit in is that if you invest a lot in the other parts of life, the fun parts of life, you know, so your child is going to listen to you about the Bible a lot more if you play ball with them or listen to music with them or draw pictures with them or the, the things that they enjoy. Play if you do those things with them, if you laugh with them and you can, you know, you, you crack up on, in, you know, on the car ride. It's like, like oh, my dad's a person. He's not yeah, a teacher. Just, and, and it shows that like you, you love them. That's mm, like, yeah. I, the, the, the memories that stand out most to me from childhood with my dad are the fun stuff, not the family devotions. Mm. It's the, it's the playing ball in the backyard. It's the going fishing. It's, you know, even just walking to and from church together, we lived walking distance from the church and some of those conversations and, 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 you know, various adventures, like all of that stuff stands out to me way more than things that he taught me. Now, the things that he taught me took deep root and, and have, you know, they, they bore fruit later. Mm-hmm. But, but looking back, like your, yeah. your treasured memories, the things that like warm your heart when you think back to them weren't, man, dad yeah. really broke down the will of God really right. well that one Wednesday. And exactly. And, and so, <laughs> and even with my daughters, like our times in the word together are better because they come after dinner we're, we're, we're laugh, laughing and acting like clowns, you know, or, mm-hmm, for you sure. know, somebody, somebody threw food at somebody else or like, there's sort of a, like a transition <laughs> from, from real life enjoyment <laughs> to spiritual meaningfulness that makes, that makes both of them matter more. Well, cause God made our whole lives, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The word we will not always enjoy the word. And in fact, I think we're spiritually disinclined to, to enjoy the word. I think we, we were kind of have a bent away from it, but we will absolutely enjoy it more. If it's in the context of, we really like each other. We know how to have fun together. That I think that's true in the church. I think it's true in the home. I think it's true with friends and in marriage and in just about everything. And, uh, and I think that's something where we, when we focus on the spiritual development of our children, we just forget to be goofy and, and mm-hmm. play and have fun sometimes. Yeah, it's like that saying, like, take life seriously. You don't have to take yourself seriously. Yeah. Well, and I, I wanted to ask you about your um, your book on curiosity because culture is something that's really important to us here on the show. We always try to, at least once a month, highlight either a book or a film, something that deals in the realm of true things, sometimes eternal, sometimes human truths, but that deals with true things, but beautifully or interestingly or in a way that is provoking. Like, talk to us a minute. Give us the elevator pitch for your Curious Christian book. Like, why did you write a book on curiosity? What's the role of of the mind and the intellect together? Yeah, um, it that one came out of... It, it, it kind of came on the heels and in one sense, sort of a graduated follow-up to Help My Unbelief, because Help My Unbelief was so much about asking questions well, but it was focused specifically on asking questions about God and of God. But then that same concept just kind of stuck with me, and I thought, well, I think the healthiest, best people are question askers in all of life. Hmm. And you just started to look around and go, who, who are the people who are the most interesting? And it's the people who who are always kind of exploring and asking. But what I saw was that Christianity in its, in its kind of conservative evangelical form that the, the world that I am most familiar with often puts a lid on curiosity because it's, um, it's unsafe or we have very definitive answers Oof. to everything mm-hmm. yeah. or, you know, we just, we just don't go there. You know, we don't, we don't engage <laughs> that kind of art or that kind of music 
and sometimes with very sinful directions, like in terms of skepticism of people of different socioeconomic backgrounds mm-hmm. or different races. And so it, a lack of curiosity feeds bigotry hmm. straight up. And so uh, I wrote it with the idea of what does it look like to encourage Christians to lift their eyes up and engage the world that God made. If God made a world that he called good, and yes, it has been twisted by sin. It's, you know, Genesis 3 tells us that it's cursed, but it doesn't mean that it is, it is abjectly evil. The good is still mm-hmm. there. And if, and if that's true, what does it look like to look around and learn how to say, oh, wow, and to, and to take notice of beautiful things, creative things, different kinds of people, people who are different than yourselves. I think so, so much of the reason that people kind of stiltify and, and get bored in their faith is a lack of curiosity. Hmm. Because if God is infinite, doesn't it follow that we always have more we can discover about him? Yeah. And we just don't. Right. We stop discovering things about God. Who's, whose fault is that? That's ours. No, yeah. 100%. Like, and, ugh, I, we hit this on the show a lot. I'm probably the one that bangs this side of the drum the most, but like, I get so ticked off at this because uh, this is the, the tradition we come from as well. We are the ones saying, hey, world, emulate us. Like, we are living for a purpose. We have an eternal God. Like mm. we have, not that we have all the answers, but like we commend our beliefs and lifestyle to you, world. Look at us. But also, we're not going to have any fun and we're going to live within these parameters that we made up. It's just so frustrating. Mm. It's a very bad sales pitch to the world. Yeah. <laughs> when, and the, the thing is, like, I, I, in writing that, I would have conversations with people and kind of, I always try to think through what are the, what are the, um, what are the pushbacks on, on this idea that I would get from kind of the audience that I'm writing for? And the idea of, well, can't we kind of explore our way into sin? Isn't that a real risk? And it, it is. You know, people sure. do that all the time. You know, curiosity killed the cat is a, is right. a phrase for a reason. <laughs> and it, sure. it, can, mm-hmm. it, it can lead us to places. But the thing is, if you're the right kind of curious, it also leads to the right kind of discernment. Mm, because yes. you, yes. if you're... you're, you're exploring and asking questions from the perspective of this is God's truth. This is reality as God intends it. So how does that apply to this movie or yes. that album or that job or whatever? And, uh, and so all of a sudden we, you, you find the true borders of what is moral and immoral, true and untrue. And curiosity gives you that. It doesn't, it doesn't like just lead you to, mm. to, you know, ruin your life by, by, exploring blindly into sin. And I think that's another thing. I think, I think Christians live in fear way more often than we should. There are very few things that a Christian needs to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. Preach and, that. Mm-hmm. And culture is not one of them. We don't need to be afraid of culture. We just need to be able, we just need to be properly discerning about it. That's and right. <laughs> uh, and that's not, that's not how we engage it most yeah. often, which makes us, <laughs> to your point, not very compelling because we're we're living in a standoffish, judgmental, uh, afraid posture instead of a we know we know how to like cannonball into the middle of this thing and have the best time, kind of sin free. Well, and it's not the gospel yeah. either. There's so many things that that do matter and are important. And like you said, there are ways that we yeah. can engage things sinfully. Yeah. But like the gospel isn't think all the exact right things and and like live live so safely that you never have a chance and, to like no one's, make a mistake. It seems like no one's really trying to explore and suss out the day. Like p- plenty of people would push back and tell you the dangers of curiosity, but how many people are pushing back on the dangers of not curiosity? That also introduces sin in its own form, yes. right? If yeah. we don't have yeah. balance on that side, if we don't develop what Ephesians talks about, which is, learning what is pleasing to the Lord, chapter 5, verse 10, not living unwise, but as wise, taking advantage of every opportunity, not being foolish, but understanding what the Lord's will is, verse 17, right? So like those kind of things can't develop if we're not ever asking (laughs) questions, if we just like to live in our predefined rules boundary kind of life. And we directly fall into the, well, we don't want to follow the foolish traditions of men, so let's make our own traditions so that we don't fall into the worldly ones. It's like... Yeah, I mean, and, and Jesus calls that out straight up. He's like, by, by your traditions, you have rejected the will of God. Yes. And, 
and so we just, you know, we, we have done the same thing. We, we being the, the conservative Christian church, it's a but weakness. We feel about good it. about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, I think and the Pharisees it, did too. It gets to a point where we start to uh, deny the Bible's assessment of our sin because we, we've kind of convinced ourselves that if we stick to this regimen of thinking, stick to this regimen of behaviors, stick to this regimen that we find ethically or morally sound, then we're, we're going to be perfect and we're not going to sin. Even though we would say, you know, sinless perfectionism is a heresy, um, we kind of almost in an implicit <laughs> way believe it. Um, yeah. We set ourselves up in such a way that, that we think that we can live that way. And I think it, there's a level where that curiosity, like you said, can really bring us out into a way where we can live life, have liberty, but also be discerning of those things that could be dangerous. Yeah, totally agree. And just, yeah, echoing what you said in in a slightly different way, just the idea that legalism is always inconsistent. You know, so we would say we don't believe in sinless perfection. We would call that heresy. However, the lie of legalism is if you do these things, you will be perfect in the eyes of God. Like you will attain righteousness. Mm -hmm. And so we we are, our, our lives are giving lie to our theology. Mm-hmm. by or there's just a direct conflict there because legalism can't be consistent it's impossible yeah, yeah absolutely. well and and growing up i always thought that you know well legalism just means it has to take the forms of laws and behaviors and regulations but it almost comes down to where it's like it's in the form of theology mm-hmm. tests and obviously there is a certain like belief you got to know the real jesus and un- without which you cannot be saved, just like there's a certain lifestyle without there's a holiness without which you won't see the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it just is interesting that the kind of constant pursuit of let's just get the most accurate grade in heaven on the theology test, and that's going to be kind of the trajectory of Christian life versus like how can I how can I live this thing and honor God and and the things I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, kind of changing directions, uh, I just wanted to ask a fun question. I remember listening to the Happy Rant um, when you were in the hot seat, and you said that your mother was a significant influence on your love for fiction books. And so I wanted to ask if you were to start the process of trying to write a fiction novel or a fiction book, what might that look like? Terrifying. Um, <laughs> it was a dark and stormy night. Yeah, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Um, no, I. Terrifying is a true answer. However, uh, I think the kinds of fiction that I gravitate toward most, in terms of those that I look at, and I just think the kind of sort of you make make you set a book down and just go, "Wow, what did I just read? That was transcendent." are not books about anything. You know, they're not, they're not like plot driven books. You know, my mom, uh, loves mystery novels. That's sort of her, her sort mm-hmm. of when, when she just wants to relax and read something for fun, she reads Agatha Christie and PD James and things like that. She had a huge collection of those. Those are very plot driven, very device driven. The ones that I love are the, are the character driven ones and the plot sort of grows out of who the people are. Mm. And so I think I would want to write something like that, where it was to find, to, to conceptualize, imagine a certain kind of character, probably somebody I can relate to because that, I think I would need to be able to write it accurately. And then what, what are the things that stem from this person's crisis? Cause you know, it's not fiction unless there's a crisis. It's just, you know, sure. at that point it's mm-hmm. just a, it's just a diary or something. Yeah. So what is what is the crisis that stems from this person's reality, this person's existence? And I, I think it would be that starting point. I don't have much beyond that in terms of what, you know, what it would be like. I haven't, there are, there are people who can create whole worlds in their minds. They have whole kind of visions of a reality that they want to depict in fiction. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm like, well, I don't know. I'd probably write it in a neighborhood similar to the one that I live in or the one that I grew up in. I would base characters off of people that I know so that I could write the character with the right, you know, the right personality, the right tone, the right mindset. It would probably have, it wouldn't be Christian fiction in the, um, kind of the, the marketing sense, but because I'm a Christian, that, that sense of 
morality and right and wrong and the shape of what, what I see as noble and, and ignoble would come out. Mm-hmm. That would be my aim. And I've thought about it. I've kind of dabbled, but have never, have never really put pen to paper on fiction. Yeah, well, that's, uh, if you ever do one day, that'll be uh, that'll be exciting. Yeah, that'll be a book to read. I I know uh, my my wife. She loves. I don't know if you've heard of Brandon Sanderson, but he. I have. I haven't read his stuff, but I've heard really good things. Yeah, she consumes those like water, and it's it's <laughs> exactly like you said. It's creating worlds, and and the plot is driven more by the character development. And I mean, I mean, these worlds even have rules of how it operates. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, so don't be looking out for the Barnabas Piper fantasy realm anytime <laughs> yeah. soon. Yeah, yeah, or like the the young adult apocalyptic. You know, uh, <laughs> it's not going to be like the next. Vince, you know about game. that right now. Have you yeah, gotten those? I'm yet, actually Vince? reading through the Left Behind series. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a. I don't. Well, it's a little more. I'm going to follow the. If, I'm going to follow the. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. No, Barnabas, at all. I, I already gave him grief on it when we did our 2021 reading list episode. So we have a segment called Substance Shoutout. So, what have you read, watched, listened to, engaged with recently that you found either just enjoyable or edifying, maybe stimulated your thought, or you just found fun? So, movies, books, podcasts, articles. What have you been enjoying recently? Yeah. Um, what well, at any given time, I I'm usually reading somewhere between like four and seven books because I can. All right. I uh, I read I, I try to read a bunch of different genres at once because I never know what I'm going to be in the mood for, and so um, <laughs> like right now I'm 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 actually well I'm listening to it not reading it but it's uh, it's called Showboat it's Kobe Bryant's biography. Um, mm. I'm a huge sports fan and grew up as an NBA fan. And Kobe was sort of the, the seminal player kind of for the generation just behind me. I'm still of the Jordan was the greatest generation. I'm with but Kobe was so influential. And so that's been, that's been really fascinating. Just, he's a, he's an, he's just a remarkably fascinating and, and, uh, he was maddening as well. Um, a couple other things I, I read the Nightingale recently. It's by Kristen Hanna. And it's a, so it's a World War II historical fiction novel about um, some sisters in France who are kind of forced into choosing how they will side and how they will will or will not resist against the Nazis, but just beautifully written. And uh, it's another one where like the personalities of their relationship is what shapes the book and it, and it shapes their decisions, uh, which makes it way more compelling than just sort of a, a spy novel kind of thing. And then... Yeah, just just one more on the book side of things. I recently read a book by Jasmine Holmes called Mother to Son. So Jasmine, uh, Jasmine's a, a black lady, and it's a it's letters to her her son about what kind of what it means to grow up as a black boy and with the reflections of of that in in a christian world it's a, it's a very distinctly christian book oh she's i've and, seen and, that on social media that sounds really interesting yeah i mean it, it really is and so it's they're they each chapter is fairly short she just looks at different aspects of image bearing of god and conflict and does it she just does a fantastic job of weighing the tensions of kind of culture versus faith and where people create false dichotomies she just refuses to deal in them um <laughs> and she's a she's a wonderful writer so just if you enjoy reading just well written prose that also have a fantastic message it's great uh so yeah i mean i could go on and on about books but those those three off the top of my head are ones that that i've really enjoyed and benefited from recently excellent yeah nice, nice. we'll put those all on the show notes and listeners can go check those out Pipe, thanks so much for joining us on The Substance today. Man, it's been great. Thanks for letting me ramble on and on. Uh, feel free to edit out uh, any place where I, I talk too much. <laughs> yeah, we'll just edit it so that you say just like the weirdest stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, once again, thank you so much for the time and have a good one. Thank you. All right, guys, that was Barnabas Piper on The Substance. That was fantastic. What a fun yeah, conversation, fun. fun dude. So if you enjoyed that, uh, we agree. It was a lot of fun. Um, and if you want to hear more stuff like that, you can help us out by becoming a monthly supporter of The Substance at our anchor link in the show notes. Yeah. 
We if just, there's anything you can give on a monthly basis, even if it's one or two bucks, that all that all adds up. And it's just straight up encouraging us. Every time somebody sends us even a one-time gift on Cash App, it's it's affirming and encouraging. It so tells us can, it's meaningful. Yeah. yeah, 100%. So go to the anchor link below. Uh, sign up at any uh, monthly amount that works for you, or you can give us single time gifts at the Cash App at dollar sign the Substance Pod. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the Substance Pod. There you can follow us for our Substance shoutouts, the guests that we have, as well as our giveaways. Um, leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the episode. Or if you want to engage in any of the things that we post and you want to repost it or uh, leave commentary about that, just give us a tag on any of those platforms. And if you have some show ideas that you wanted to write out or if you had feedback, thoughts, testimonials, any of those kind of things, you can write us at thesubstancepod at gmail.com. We also have a phone line. You're welcome to call leave some thoughts and if it's compelling stuff we might even put it on the air that phone number is 913-703-3883 well thanks guys for tuning in this week join us every week as we say and we'll catch you next time on the substance So yeah, welcome to the Substance Green Room. I know we just kind of like jumped in and started talking. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, that's good. <laughs> so I, I hit the record. So I was like, wait a second, let's not burn material here. Uh, so um, sorry, no, I usually give people a heads up before I hit that button. Um, but no, yeah, I saw the welcome. red light come on and quit swearing. So it was it was fine. I <laughs> 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 that's solid.